My talk this evening is about Iran's protests that began in September 2022 after the killing of the Kurdish-Iranian woman, Gina Mahsa Amini, while she was in custody for what the Islamic Republic considers improper hijab. As the protest developed, and because of the popularity of the slogan, Woman Life Freedom, these protests have come to be known in terms of Woman Life Freedom uprising and movement. My approach to these protests is from the perspective of an academic who works on the role of ideas in revolutionary and post-revolutionary situations. By this, I mean a situation where political change looks like it might take place, or when a political system is sufficiently challenged that they use violence in response to protests or uprisings. My focus on the role of ideas draws particularly from the work of Asif Bayat and the late Fred Halliday. For Asif Bayat, ideas inform the social order revolutionaries' desire and the ways to achieve it, and are therefore important in how revolutions proceed. For Fred Halliday, revolutionaries are, revolutions are equally about internal transformation as just as much about the relationship between nations and states. So they are about domestic politics and international politics. So in my work, I look at the role of ideas and how they relate to factors such as national identity, types of political system, international relations, and foreign policy. Central to my approach is the importance of context. Significantly, nothing happens in isolation. No one lives in a vacuum. In other words, something happened before and things happen at the same time in other places or other parts of the world. Nothing is ever just about domestic politics or that moment. Global trends and processes influence our actions on a daily basis. This could be the global economy, the environment and climate change, or geopolitics, or all such dynamics at the same time. In terms of academic discipline, I position myself in international historical sociology. The protests developed last year, and as they did, I was interested in the political ideas that were being expressed and how they relate to both domestic and international politics. My overall argument is that Iran's Women Life Freedom Uprising highlights global issues and the battles over the values that govern world order and global politics. Consequently, Women Life Freedom movement should be seen as part of global dynamics and with an appreciation of regional dynamics. So with this in mind, my talk this evening is structured in the following way. First, I will give a sense of the protests as they appear to us outside of Iran through social media. This will include some of the ideas that have been expressed by Iranians and how they relate to political aspirations. I will then show how these protests are intrinsically linked to global dynamics and geopolitics. To do this, I will focus on three processes or factors. These are Kurdistan, politics of sanctions, and the idea of anti-imperialism as understood by the Islamic Republic of Iran. Finally, I will highlight how these protests and what they are calling for did not come out of the blue. There is a historical context, and here my focus is since the establishment of the Islamic Republic by being very aware that this is by no means the start of this process. So now I turn to my first part of my talk this evening. So what I'm trying to do here is to give a sense of the protests as they appear to those of us outside of Iran, and I highlight the sense because it's impossible to give a complete picture. No research ever gives a complete picture, and we, there's so much that we were unable, we don't know. We've relied on social media to have an understanding of what goes on. And alongside this, I'll give my own analysis regarding some of the ideas that have come out of the protest and how they relate to political aspirations. And it's important to note that most of what we learnt about these protests is from social media, and specifically the platforms of Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And there was a clear strategy 
from many Iranians inside Iran to get their experiences out to the rest of the world. And you'll notice that several of the slides I use are images of tweets, now called X, but I refer to them as tweets because at the time it was Twitter. Those are not images, um, those are not the images and tweets that are not, sorry, those that are not the images of tweets are articles that I came across through um, Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. So many of you may, rec may recall that the protest started um, and was sparked by the death whilst in custody of the Kurdish 22-year-old woman, Gina Massa Amini, after she, was, after she was arrested for what the Islamic Republic considers improper hijab. This is one of the many tweets that was tweeted a month after Gina's death. Gina is her given name, but the Islamic Republic does not allow Kurdish names, so many Kurdish people have two names. Massa is her second and official name. Of course, those of us working on Iran or from Iran are very much aware of compulsory hijab is one of the pillars of the Islamic Republic's um, ideology, which was established after the revolution in 1979. Very briefly, for women, compulsory hijab means wearing a headscarf or rusari in public from about the age of 10. And for men, it includes restrictions on wearing short sleeves and shorts, for instance. But these protests illustrated to the rest of the world the issue of compulsory hijab. The extent to which the Islamic Republic security forces and other institutions clamp down on um, this issue of compulsory hijab varies since the establishment of the Islamic Republic. But since the, under the current president, Raisi, the, the, there hasn't been a much stricter crackdown. It is really important to know that Iran is a multicultural and multinational country. It is made of several melat, or nations, such as Kurds, Baluch, Arab, and Azeri, among others. So this also means that it is multilingual. As the protest spread from Gina's hometown in Rojalat, or Iranian Kurdistan, following her funeral, the Kurdish slogan, Jin Jian Azadi, meaning woman life freedom, became widespread and was adopted as a slogan for these protests. Here we see it in Kurdish, Persian, and Baluch, and these are just some of the many languages in Iran, and this was these languages and these, the slogans in these different languages appeared through social media. And it's worth highlighting that these protests have shown both to Iranians inside Iran, but also outside Iran and the global community, a disparity in the relationship between Iranians' communities on the one hand and the Islamic Republic on the other with the harshest violence clampdowns being by Islamic Republic security forces on Kurdish, Baluch, and Arab and Azeri communities, or Melat. In response to Gina's death, schoolgirls and women began removing their rusari, or hijab, and cutting their hair in solidarity. These were shared on social media, as we see in these tweets. These have now become a common image, but at the time, the extent of such tweets was certainly significant. These tweets are from October last year, but reflect similar images that appeared beforehand. Importantly, boys and men came out in support. The last tweet is a video from Tehran University, and I've chosen this because it's quite symbolic of the issue of men and women coming out in solidarity, um, and also the issue of hijab. If you go to the tweet, it's a video showing men and women holding hands, many of them women without hijab, and this is a significant because it's not permitted to hold hands unless you are father and daughter or um, husband and wife, for instance. So in many parts of universities in Iran, there is segregation based on gender. 
And so here they have come in one of you know, Tehran's largest universities, singing the song A Iran from 1941, which is known as a song for unity, and so it's a very symbolic video. Very quickly, these protests came to be known in terms of a feminist uprising or feminist revolution. And we saw a lot of analysis coming and being shared on, um, through social media. So this is just two examples. Here we have two articles pictured which were published not long after Gina's death and the protests starting. The image on the left is Kian Tajbak's article. It refers to the protests of the first feminist uprising because it was led by girls and women. The, the um, picture on the, the other picture talks about the situation in the Islamic Republic in terms of gender apartheid. As these protests developed, it became very clear that Iranians' reasons for protesting was not just about the issue of com compulsory hijab, but also, as Asif Bayat puts it, the everyday, wanting to live everyday lives. So now I'd like to share with you this video. You may have come across it during the protests. It's, become, it's been widely shared. It's about two minutes long. It's a song by Sherwin Hajipur, pictured here. The song is called Baraye, which means because of, for, for the sake of. Shervin wrote it in response to some tweets that Iranians were posting after Gina's death, all of which started the word with the word baraye, for. So for me, the song shows how the reasons for protesting are complex. They provide a very visual example of the everyday as Afsif Bayat highlights. The song went viral after Shervin posted it. He was arrested. The song was removed from the platform and he was later released. The Gresham College lecture that you're listening to right now is giving you knowledge and insight from one of the world's leading academic experts. Making it takes a lot of time, but because we want to encourage a love of learning, we think it's well worth it. We never make you pay for lectures, although donations are needed. All we ask in return is this. Send a link to this lecture to someone you think would benefit, and if you haven't already, click the follow or subscribe button from wherever you're listening right now. Now, let's get back to the lecture. توی کوچه رخصیدن برای ترسیدن به وقت بوسیدن برای خواهرم خواهرت خواهرامون برای تغییر مغزها که پوسیدن برای شرمندگی برای بیپولی برای حسرت یک زندگی معمولی برای کودک زبال گرد و آرزوهاش برای این اقتصاد دستوری برای این هوای آلوده برای ولی اصر و درختای فرسوده برای پیروز و احتمال انقرازش برای سکهای بیگناه ممنوعه برای گریه های بیوقفه برای تصویر تکرار این لحظه برای چهره ای که میخنده برای دانش آموزا برای هاینده برای اجباری برای نخبه های زندانی برای کودکان افغانی برای این همه برای غیر تکراری برای این همه شعارهای تو خالی برای آوار خونه های 
آرامش برای خورشی پس از شبای طولانی برای غرصای حساب و بیخوابی برای مرد میهن آبادی برای دختری که آرزو داشت پسر بود برای زن زندگی آزادی that I would like to make, and especially in the context of us living here in the UK, for instance, sometimes protests that take place in other parts of the world seem very, very far. They seem very unrelated to what we might be experiencing um, here on in a daily basis. However, and this is something that I like to highlight to my students, is that this song, I think, really clearly shows, along with the protests um, and what people were asking for, that like their peers around the globe, this generation want to just hang out, they want to dance with their loved one in the students' union, they want LGBTQT rights, they are concerned about the environment, they are aware of and experience vastly different economic situations. So the protests were very much intersectional. This means they come from different social groups, different language and national groups, and also different generations. And so they were asking, and as Asaf Bayat puts it, to per being permitted to live their everyday lives. So how do this generation and those that protest envisage being able to live these everyday lives? What kind of political system do these protesters desire? And so these are the questions, some of the questions as an academic and as an analysis, analysis analyst, sorry, excuse me, looking at the role of ideas, seeks to kind of ascertain. So slogans give you an indication of political aspirations. So I've listed here some of the, just, this is just a few, some of the common slogans that appeared in the form of chants, but also as hashtags on social media. And as the slogans show, there was an explicit rejection of the Islamic Republic. Another hashtag was Iran Revolution. It also became apparent that there was a rejection of reforming the Islamic Republic. And I'll come back to that later, come back to that into the, later in the talk, in the lecture. So the implication of this, there is a new political system that's being desired, and therefore, in many instances, a revolution that is being desired. Flight 752 is another common hashtag. This refers to the Ukrainian International Airlines flight PS752 that was downed by the Islamic Republic in January 2020, killing the 176 excuse me, people, including Iranian citizens. The significance of this to the protests, and I'll come to this again, is that the tragedy of this flight is seen as part of the growing dissatisfaction and rejection of the Islamic Republic. We also saw expressions of solidarity, both within Iran and outside of Iran. And this is just some images. This included Iranian women athletes at global events removing their headscarf and non-Iranian athletes playing out the action of cutting hair. In the arts, paintings, graphics, and music were used to show solidarity and also expressions of protest inside and outside of Iran. And images were shared from all over, um, showing in different ways sense of solidarity. There are huge protests across many cities in the world, many of them organized by Iranian diaspora, showing solidarity, and many of them playing the song by Shervin Hajipur that I've already shared with you. 
And I think this sense of solidarity and determination has highlighted the gendered nature of these protests and pressured governments in some places, and likely contributed to the pressure that led to the Islamic Republic being the first country to be expelled from the UN Commission on the Status of Women in December 2022. Gina was a Kurdish Iranian woman, and as I mentioned, Jean Jian Azadi, which means woman, life, freedom, is in Kurdish, as pictured in the banner in this article by Falangiz Ghaderi and Uslem Goner. Gina's Kurdish identity and the Kurdish roots of the slogan, woman, life, freedom, have highlighted issues regarding Iran's relationship with its different peoples and Melat. As the protests and analysis of the protests developed, there was considerable debate regarding the relationship between those commentating on the protests and Gina's Kurdish identity, as well as the relationship between the government and the different peoples within, inside, um, within Iran. It led to discussions and debates on social media platforms, including Twitter um, spaces where you can call in and discuss these issues. And just thinking about what a new Iran would be like, would it be inclusive of Iran's multiple communities and peoples, or would it be exclusive like the Islamic Republic or the previous governments and political systems? This article by Farangiz Ghaderi and Uslam Ghaner responds to these debates. They highlight the importance of acknowledging Gina's Kurdish identity and the Kurdish roots of the woman life freedom movement. They argue, I quote, dismissing Gina's Kurdish identity downplaying the systematic and st structural oppression of ethnic minorities and ignoring the origins of the, new of the now popularized chant, Woman Life Freedom, risks fueling rift, distrust and resentment among Kurdish populations. They go on to state, I quote, in short, Gina's Kurdishness is critical to understand marginalization in Iran and the broader Middle East and feminist movement that's simultaneously anti-colonial and anti-imperial. The Islamic Republic's response to protests has been extensive violence, with the harshest violence in um, Azerbaijan, Baluchistan, and Kurdistan. The first tweet pictured here records um, the decision or the call by 227 Iranian MPs for death sentences for protesters. Several have been executed, accused of what the Islamic Republic calls enmity against God and corruption on earth. The second tweet is one of many tweets that were regularly posted um, cat um, recording the um, levels of violence. This one is by human rights activist news agency giving an update on the number of arrests and deaths, including children. And this one is from November 2022. The use of violence is significant in terms of how we understand actions and ideas of those who took to the streets. The use of violence against protesters shows that the ideas and aspirations threaten the idea of the Islamic Republic. And the use of violence, along with the extent of the protests, also led many commentators and analysts to argue that the legitimacy of the Islamic Republic was being threatened or that it was no longer legitimate. The implication of this in terms of academic debates on political legitimacy is that legitimacy is required in order to maintain political stability through consent. As I'm trying to show here, I'm very much interested in the role ideas play um, in revolutions and revolutionary um, processes. Um, so a lot of what I've come 
got to is through slogans, through um, chants. But this here is a really important and interesting document. It's a charter issued by a group of civil society organizations published on the 44th anniversary of the 1979 revolution, which is February 2023. My interpretation of the introduction is an indication of a rejection not only of the Islamic Republic of Iran, but also of the previous government or political system of the Pahlavi monarchy as a legitimate political system. It also indicates an idea of Iranian national identity that is include, inclusive of all Iranians, regardless of gender, profession, sexuality, religion, or identity. And all Iranians, and they say this by saying, from Kurdistan to um, Sistan Baluchistan. Kurdistan being in the north and um, Sistan Baluchistan in the south. They also present their demands in the context of a century-long struggle. This is a reference to the constitutional revolution, which brought in a parliament, and also they consider themselves as the, quote, the major progressive social movement. They make 12 demands that relate to women's, children's, workers' rights and political prisoners. They call for politics that are not based on religion and a normalization of relations with all countries. So this gives us an indication of the type of international relations that they would like, what kind of foreign policy they would like. And I would like to share two of their 12 demands in detail. The first is demand number four, and the second is demand number 10. So demand number four is the immediate declaration of full equality between men and women in all political, economic, social, cultural, and family respects. The unconditional abolition of laws and forms of discrimination based on gender and sexual orientations and identity. Official recognition of the LGBTQIA plus community, decriminalization of all sexual orientations and identities, and unconditional adherence to women's rights to make decisions about their own bodies and affairs, and the prevention of acts of patriarchal control. The next one, an end to environmental degradation, the implementation of decisive policies to revive env environmental assets damaged over the past century, and the restitution to the public of all natural areas. So why highlight these two in particular? These highlight global issues. All of us, our governments, are having to deal with these issues. With these are part of our discussions on a daily basis here in the UK and elsewhere. They are very much part of the discussions of our youth. Um, and not only are they, are they global issues, they are also related to how we imagine not just domestic politics, but also norms and values of global order and the international and global institutions and processes. For instance, we're about to have COP28. And this leads me to the second part of my talk, which fo focuses on the international dynamics and specifically geopolitics. So nothing happens in isolation. No, no, none of us live in a vacuum. We are connected to the world. What happens inside Iran does not in exist in isolation of Iranian, Iran's foreign policy, geopolitics, or global issues. The Charter and the Hopes for Everyday Lives show aspirations regarding global issues, gender rights, environment, workers' rights. So now I'm going to focus specifically on three issues. The politics of sanctions, the relationship with the Kurds, and the issue of anti-imperialism. And I'll start with Kurdistan. So in addition to gender-based violence on the part of the Islamic Republic, Gina's death has once again highlighted to the rest of the world 
what some may refer to as the Kurdish question. This has been ongoing, however, since the rise of Islamic State in Iraqi Kurdistan and the rest of Iraq and Syria, and the Syria conflict following the revolts against Bashar al-Assad, um, the Kurdish question has been brought to the knowledge and reminded the rest of the world that it's still there. The Kurdish question, according to Kamran Mateen, refers to the causes and consequences of Kurdistan's geopolitical significance, both historically and in the present, as well as the Kurds' struggle for self-rule. During the protests and before, the Islamic Republic demonstrated its policy regarding the Kurdish question. So here, I've just chosen, gives you an example. These are three different articles. One is from 2021, September, so before um, the protest started. The other one is from BBC News in September 2022. And the third is Al Jazeera, November 2022. They just show that um, they all report the fact that Kurdish rebels um, have been targeted in Iraqi Kurdistan. So this is important because the issue of Kurdistan is part of Iran's foreign policy. Okay? Um, and it also highlights that this is a dynamic that crosses not just Iran, but also Syria, Iraq, and Turkey. And it's so important to notice at this point to also appreciate in terms of regional dynamics, Iran's protests and what have been demanded have a lot of similarities with what has been going on in terms of Iraq's Tashreen movement in the last few years and Lebanon's 2019 uprisings. So these are not just unique to Iran. Nevertheless, what we see in Iran is very much a particular environment that you have in a predominantly Muslim country, the rejection of compulsory hijab that also thus rejects political Islam and is also in the Middle East. So I argue this also threatens the idea of a lot of other states and governments in the region. So beyond the Middle East, these protests show also that the West does not have ownership over democracy, gender rights, feminism, etc. So now my second point is the politics of sanctions. The issue of the nuclear deal and sanctions is a huge issue. Um, and it cannot be discussed here. But what I want to share with you is that Iran's nuclear program has been ongoing since 2002. There were continuing um, concerns about Iran's nuclear program. In response, there were um, we have a sanctions regime. And um, what I'd like to highlight here is not just the economic impact of the sanctions, but also the political. So in the early 2000s, the Iranian democracy movement rejected sanctions because it was considered a threat not just to democracy, but also to um, uh, sovereignty. And here is an example, Shirin Abadi, who is the um, Nobel um, Peace Prize laureate um, and also Iran human rights defender, was among those that rejected sanctions for these particular reasons. In 2011, so this article is from 2010, in 2011 she stated that she had changed her stance. So in the context of the nuclear program, we have a new president comes in in 2013, Rassan Rouhani, and it's in the context of his presidency, which is also at the same time as Barack Obama's presidency, that negotiations about Iran's nuclear program take place and culminate, as we see here in this other picture, in the JCPOA, or Iran nuclear deal. So this is um, between China, the EU3, France, Germany, and the UK, Iran, Russia, and the USA. 
And at the, at the time, the nuclear deal was very much welcomed. It was considered as a starting point to deal with the economic situation in Iran. And there was hope about um, creating stability, not just in Iran, but also the wider region. So the other reason why this is important for the context of women life freedom is because in the context of um, the, the most recent protest, the narrative has changed. There's a really strong narrative rejecting the nuclear deal and calling for more sanctions. So the sanctions um, take place, the nuclear deal comes about, and then Donald Trump pictured here, this is where he actually, um, a picture of him delivering the speech um, where he rejects the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, rejects and brings the US out of the Iran nuclear deal. Um, I argue that one of the rationales for this is also Trump's uh, closer relationship with Israel and Saudi Arabia and concern following the nuclear deal that Israel and Saudi Arabia had of being excluded or that the US was becoming too close to Iran. So the impact of um, this decision by Trump was that the US sanctions were reimposed. This allowed um, the hardliners in the Islamic Republic to further justify their discrediting of the Iran nuclear deal. And in their eyes, the actions of the US further legitimizes the Islamic Republic's ideology in relation to the view that there is US hegemony which must be prevented in the region. However, it's important to say that Trump's decision does not mis dismiss uh, the impact of economic misman mismanagement and in terms of the impact on Iran, which is well documented. So this context highlights the geopolitical and regional dynamics. So the second image here we have is uh, another picture highlighting Shiri Ebadi's role, who is one of the people that has been at the forefront of calling for more sanctions. And this rejection of the nuclear deal is reflected to a certain extent in her speech to the UN in November 2022, where she stays, states, and I quote, the people of Iran ask that the governments, especially the United States of America, refrain from subscribing any type of agreements that will help survival of the regime, as the Islamic Republic does not spend the funds for the welfare of the people, but on the contrary provides and buys more weapons, and which, and which in turn will cause more killings in Iran and the region. So what we can see is the geopolitics and the institutions of global order and the values of global order have an impact and are part of the women life freedom protests. So this is my last um, issue to do with um, global politics. While Iran has never been formally colonized, there is a legacy of colonialism, and that has been a really important role, played a really important role in the ideology of the Islamic Republic at the time of the 1979 revolution. And now the Islamic Republic sees itself as, what a, as a leader of what it calls anti-imperialism, its own um, narrative of anti-imperialism, which means resistance to what it considers to be US hegemony. So how does this relate to um, the protests? So this is an image that I have taken from Iran's Supreme Leader's website, Ali Khamenei. And this is a picture of um, representing a speech that he gave in October 2022 in where he responds to the protests. And to, these are his words, not mine. 
I openly state that these schemes were designed by the US, the usurping fake Zionist regime and their mercenaries. So what he is doing here, he is associating the protesters with what he considers to be the external enemy of the Islamic Republic. Also, we have to appreciate Iran's relationship with Russia. Both Iran and Russia were involved in the Syria conflict. They supported Bashar al-Assad. And there are many reports to suggest that the actions that they are using in Ukraine were learnt in Syria. And also, as this article shows, Iran supplied drones to Russia in the context of the um, Ukraine invasion. So again, we see geopolitical um, dynamics here. But also, it's really important, and this is my interpretation, is that in the rejection of the... Um, Islamic Republic, there is also the rejection of this narrative of anti-imperialism, which for me does not mean that it's a, a denial of the colonial legacy, but it's a rejection of how the Islamic Republic represents itself in terms of anti-imperialism. So historical context. There's, you know, it's impossible to give a complete overview of the historical context. I've already mentioned the Constitutional Revolution and the 1979 Revolution, um, and those have already been discussed in earlier lectures. But, so what I'm trying to do here is give you an insight based on my research, and I, it's really important for me to show, um, state I'm not a gender politics person, I haven't written on gender politics, but what I have looked at is how ideas about the political system in Iran have developed, um, and that's what I'm drawing on here. Um, saying that, it's really important to appreciate that the rejection of, um, or uh, protest against compulsory hijab is not new. This demonstration symbolizes that. It's an Im image taken on International Women's Day in 1979, where there were large protests um, against the decision to introduce compulsory hijab. I mentioned earlier that there's a rejection of reformism, the idea of reforming the um, Islamic Republic. Here we have a picture of Khatami. He was the president that was elected in 1997, popularly with 70% of the electorate, especially intellectuals, women and youth. He brought ideas of reforming the Islamic Republic, which was an intellectual movement, as a legitimate part of state discourse and government. In the context of his presidency, there was a relative social and political liberalisation. This was evident in the proliferation of newspapers and books. And inherent to this was the idea of Islamic democracy. So this means, to quote Khatami, freedom, equality, and possession of rights through civil society. In the context of his presidency, um, you were able to see the women's movement um, having space to work. This involved women well-versed in both the Qur'an and feminist ideology, reconceptualizing the position of women. It was evident, for instance, in Zanon magazine, pictured here, led by Shahla Sherkat, and also Farzana Women's Study Journal. In addition to this, there were several campaigns, such as One Million Signatures campaign, Maidan Zanan, Feminist School, all showing um, the women's movement um, being very active. Mahbubeh Abbas Khalizadeh has argued that the experience gained during this period by the women's movement was instrumental in the context of the Green Movement and the popular uprisings in 2009. So until the most recent protest, the 2009 or 10, um, 10 popular uprising has been generally considered as the largest protest since the establishment of the Islamic Republic. 
There's been a lot of discussion about these protests being um, examples of reacting to um, civil, uh, electoral politics um, and also in terms of a deep, long divide that has existed in Iran. The uprising followed the 2009 presidential election, which is considered controversial because the incumbent Ahmadinejad was re-elected and fraud was widely perceived. But in the context of the ideas that took place here, there were two, broadly speaking, camps. So those who, the um, kind of the elite of the Green Movement, was very much promoting reformism, reforming the Islamic Republic and returning to what they considered to be the ideals of the um, Iranian Revolution. On the other hand, um, and this is research conducted by um, my colleague uh, Paola Rivetti, there were those who were explicitly rejecting khatamizma or reformism. So this idea of rejecting the Islamic Republic and rejecting the reforming of the Islamic Republic has got a history in Iran. In response, there was um, the use of violence against protesters. So I think it's important, although this isn't necessarily my own area of research, I draw on those but considering the discussions as the protests developed about highlighting um, Gina's Kurdish identity. I've chosen this um, picture here just to highlight the historical and uh, intellectual roots of the slogan, Woman, Life, Freedom. Um, and again, I draw on Kamran Matina and Farangiz Ghaderi and Oslem Goner, who um, highlight, the, you know, as I've already mentioned, the dynamic in terms of Kurdistan. But we need to appreciate that Jean Jian Azadi was developed in the Kurdish women's freedom movement, both in Bakur which, um, and Rojava, so outside of Iran, using um, Abdullah Ocalan's theories, um, central to which are the role of women in creating a free society. And that the Kurdish women's freedom movement was forged over decades of struggle, but most recently in the fight against Islamic State. So I just have two more slides and then I will conclude. So the Women Life Freedom protests, the latest in a series of protests between 2017 and 2020. And here I draw on Ali Fatullah Nejad's work, who's done a detailed analysis of that period. There were nation-bride protests at the end of 2017 and beginning of 2018, often referred to as the day protests. Um, and also these protests again saw anti-government slogans along with demands regarding the environment and also demands in relation to socio-economic situation. Protests resume again in November 2019 and so this is what the picture on the left represents, um, often referred to as the Arban protests. The and these were more widespread than the earlier protests um, and were considered by some as the largest since 1979. The violence used against these protesters was extensive, with up to 1,500 protesters reportedly being killed. During the Woman Life Freedom protests, the Arban protests were often um, recalled, both in terms of slogans and in, in terms of hashtags. And I've been told that these um, protests and their response, along with the COVID policies and the downing of the Ukrainian International Airlines, which I've already um, referred to, were really a turning point in the rejection of the Islamic Republic, not just in terms of reform, but a complete rejection of the idea of the Islamic Republic. Um, and I think also in terms of not to take away of the tragedy of, um, by any means, of the tragedy of the downing of the U Iran 
um, of the Ukrainian flight by the, the um, IRGC is to appreciate that this also takes place in the regional dynamic. It was shot down after the assassination of Qasem Soleimani, who is the major one of the major generals within the um, IRGC, um, by um, the US and in Iraq. And this was in the context of a very tense regional dynamic within the Persian Gulf. Um, so one of the things that has really angered Iranians and why it's recalled is that the response, at first the Islamic Republic tried to cover it, cover it up and then they referred to it as a human um, error. And this is not, and obviously this has um, been a very difficult um, context. So these protests between 2017 and 2020 are the immediate context for the women life freedom movement. So this is my last slide before my concluding remarks, which will be brief. Nargis Mohammadi is an Iranian human rights campaigner and the deputy head of the uh, um, Defender of Human Rights Center, which is an NGO uh, headed by Shirin Ebadi. She has been in prison for much of the past um, 13 years because of her work. And from prison, as reflected in her book pictured here, White Torture, she has also highlighted the violence of women towards women inside um, prisons. This October, she was awarded the 2023 Nobel Peace Prize for, I quote, her fight against the oppression of all women in Iran and her fight to promote human rights and freedom for all. Several analyses have argued that this award can be attributed to the woman life freedom protests. Um, and for me, the Nargis Mohammadi's Nobel Prize and her profile simultaneously represents the past and the present. So we see here, and this is just recent, um, an appreciation and also the idea of global issues and also global solidarity being represented in the Nobel Prize. So to conclude, it's important to note that the desire for democracy, progressive politics, or freedom in everyday lives comes to our attention outside of Iran when it hits the media. Some protests get more attention than others, and it's not possible to give a detailed analysis of all the different ways Iranians have expressed a desire for progressive politics. What I would like to say, however, is that for those of us who analyze revolutions and revolutionary processes, who analyze the idea of democracy, who analyze human rights and gender politics, I think collectively we show the complexity and the variety of such processes. So I see my approach only as part of a much more substantial and varied scholarship that highlights different dynamics that coexist. And my focus and my desire to highlight the regional and geopolitical and global context by no means is a, means, is a decision to deny or disregard internal dynamics. So my main point are the need to highlight context, complexity, and agency. The context is not just historical but also what happens inside Iran, across Iran's borders, and beyond Iran's borders, which are all interconnected. Processes and dynamics related to these are simultaneous. This context also highlights the complexity. These protests, because of the extent of the protests, have highlighted the complexity of political ideas in Iran as a multinational, multi-religious, and multilingual state. Also, Gina's Kurdish identity and Kurdish roots of the slogan, Woman, Life, Freedom, have highlighted long-standing grievances and exclusions. My focus on Kurdistan 
um, does not imply less importance regarding other parts of Iran or other communities. This complexity is also evident in the fact that the women life freedom protests highlight global issues. And I think this is my most important and my, in, for me the most important point. They show that like so many young people around the world, issues such as gender rights and the environment, workers' rights are really important. They also demonstrate a rejection of religion-based, gender-based and race-based violence, which we are seeing in social movements across the world. They demonstrate a rejection of socioeconomic status quo. This complexity is further evident in global geopolitics. This includes a relationship with Russia, amongst others, the Iran nuclear deal, and how the institutions of global governance deal with these factors and relationships. My final point is appreciating agency. Just like in other parts of the world, Iranians in all their diversity are active agents. What is clear from the ideas expressed during these protests is that in the case of the Women Life Freedom Movement, which is ongoing, it's a movement, the desire for a new revolution and or political change has progressive politics, worker rights, workers' rights, and human rights at its core. Thank you. <laughs>